Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter number one, Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one. We had such good services this morning, and um, I happen to be in both of them. Some of you heard this, some of you didn't, uh, but I was sitting up here looking up. Uh, How many of you were in the service where Brother Wiggins talked about one of these speakers falling down potentially? Yeah, I've looked at it a little differently, actually, as I was sitting so near it this evening. I'll never look at it quite the same again. But I had good services this morning. Um, The Lord used Brother Wiggins, and I'm thankful for it. Um, The power that God has, the power of the resurrection, just such a a good message. I'm thankful for it. Uh, Always thankful for the opportunity to preach, of course, and um, grateful for it and humbled by it. And I think anyone who uh, has that opportunity here would agree with that. Uh, But uh, such a great opportunity, and I appreciate you following along tonight. We'll look at a few different passages And um, we'll start with just one verse, and then we'll talk about it for just a moment, and then we'll have a word of prayer and then get into a few other passages. Uh, We're going to talk tonight about, really we're going to have more of a Bible study, I think, uh, on what is the most important topic in all of Scripture. And uh, that's a little overwhelming, and frankly, uh, we can't can't fully speak about it. We can't uh, cover everything about it, of course, in one sermon. Um, But it is the most important topic in all of Scripture, and if we're going to uh, know it, if we're going to apply it to our lives, we need to know it, obviously. If we're going to know it, we have to look and see what God's Word says about it. Uh, And then at the end, Lord willing, uh, we'll we'll try to make an application for how it applies to our lives. We do have to fight the temptation, I think, sometimes in our Bible reading and Bible study to just read it and not actually apply it to our own lives. Uh, So we'll do our best to make an application this evening as well. Let's start in Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Romans 1. One. We'll just read this one verse, and then we'll begin. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I'm going to read it one more time. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. If I were meeting you for the very first time, uh, I, hopefully I would be friendly. I would introduce myself. Maybe I'd tell you my name. And then you'd tell me yours. And then typically, the way we do it in our culture is we would ask a question of some sort or tell something about ourselves in some way. And maybe I would say, I'm a staff member here at Heritage Baptist Church. I've had the opportunity to serve as the administrator of Heritage Christian Academy. What do you do? And then you would tell me. Don't tell me right now. Then I might say, well, tell me a little more about yourself. And you may say things like, well, I have a spouse and here's some detail about them. Uh, I would tell you. Uh, a wife for 11 years now, my beautiful wife for 11 years, the most patient human being on earth. Uh, I might say, I don't have to amen necessarily, Brother Chad. Um, I might say the Lord's blessed me with three beautiful children, and I'm thankful for them. I may tell you a little bit about them or some of their interests. I may end up telling you some of my hobbies or some of my interests. You may tell me some sports team you're a fan of or uh, whatever, whatever it may be that interests you. 
As we meet people, as we introduce ourselves to people, we tend to share something about ourselves. We identify with certain things. Um, my sons and I are in mourning just a little bit because the University of Tennessee's football team is still bad. We're 15 years of horrendous. But every year there's that little glimmer of hope. And every year it comes crashing down in just a couple of games. But we always say something to identify ourselves. I hope you'd be um, thankful that you're a member of Heritage Baptist Church if you are. I hope that you'd be happy to identify that way. But as Paul introduces himself in Romans, he identifies himself in the most unique way. He says something that unfortunately most of us would not say that we could. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. With the Lord's help tonight, we're going to focus on that, separated to the gospel of God. I said already that we discussed the most important topic in all of Scripture. Is there a more important topic in Scripture than the gospel? No. How many of you identify with the gospel? You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you raise your hand? Me too. And I'm thankful that I have. But isn't it a shame that if it's the most important topic in all of Scripture, and frankly, if it's the most important topic in all of human history, if I introduce myself, I'd name a dozen or more things most of the time before I ever said, oh, and I'm a Christian. And if you're like me, you're the same way. If it's the most important topic in all of Scripture and the most important topic in all of human history, why is it not the most important topic to me? And excuse me, why is it not the most important topic to you? The gospel, separated unto the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'll use your word tonight. Continue to convict me with this thought. God, do what only you can do, please, in this service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says here he's separated unto the gospel. Separated. That word separated means that he was once part of something, and he was taken out of that, and then he was put over here either with something else or by himself in a totally different place. Paul was separated from the world and to the gospel of God, he says. That word separated, uh, if you've studied your Bible and you, you know anything about sanctification or living a holy life, living a holy life or being sanctified means that you're set apart. Just like Paul says, he's set apart under the gospel of God. All of us at one point, if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, accepted the Holy Ghost. But at that moment, our sanctification was not complete, and nor is it complete today. The Lord continues to use His Word and use the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to Him, to help us learn more of Him, to know more of Him. And then also, He changes our lives. He changes our actions through that sanctification. Being holy, being set apart, being different. You know, it's perfectly fine for a Christian to be different. In fact, a Christian should be different. I should be able to look at a group of Christians, and you should too, a group of people in the world, I should say, and notice which people are Christians and which ones are not. Am I talking about dress standards? No, though you could easily make that application. But if we have the joy of the Lord available to us, shouldn't our countenance look a little different? If we have the gospel, if God has changed our lives through his word, shouldn't we look a little different? 
I think we should. I think we should. Paul tells us he was separated unto the gospel of God. We're going to look at that tonight and have, we'll have four main things we discuss. The first one is we can't really know how to be separated to the gospel unless we know what the gospel is. All right? So number one, the origin of the gospel. The origin of the gospel. If you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the origin of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? If we say it's the most important thing in all of Scripture and the most important thing in human history, and if we say it should be the most important thing in our lives, then we should know what it is. What is the gospel? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll start in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I'd like to pause there and talk for a few minutes about us standing in the gospel. We don't have time to tonight. Verse number two, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? Well, this shows us the gospel. Verse, verse three and four show us. Here's the gospel in its simplest form. That Christ died for our sins, the death of Jesus Christ, and that he was buried, the burial of Jesus Christ, and that he rose again the third day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, is there more to the gospel than that? There is more to it. If you read through scripture, you learn a lot about the death, burial, and resurrection, but in its simplest form, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love, just as a side note, we've been talking about some of this in our high school Bible class, I love as a side note that it says, according to the scriptures, two different times. That ties in the Old Testament to what is being said here in the New Testament. In other words, it tells us that everything that happened from Genesis all the way up until, until the time of Christ was pointing toward the gospel. And then everything that happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ was pointing back toward the gospel. The gospel is the central theme in all of Scripture. That's why it's the most important topic. Because all of Scripture is for the sake of the gospel. Everything that we read from Genesis to Revelation is about the gospel. What is the gospel? We can't overemphasize the importance of the gospel. It can't be done. It is the most important thing. It should be the most important thing to us. The gospel is what every truth in God's word hinges on. Everything. If we don't have the gospel, we have nothing. I hope you take the time to read God's word. I hope you do. I hope you take the time to apply it to your life. But if you're missing the gospel, nothing you read in scripture can have an impact on you. Nothing. Because everything hinges on the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, first it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But also it's the good news. It's the good news. Our pastor growing up and for most of my life would always say, if he brought up the gospel, he would always say, you cannot have good news until you have bad news. Isn't it so true if you're watching the news, the good news stories really stand out because there's so few of them, especially during election cycles, right? Isn't it amazing how one little bit of good news can just cheer you up for the day? It's true that we don't know what wealth is until we know what poverty is. We don't know what good is until we know what bad is. We don't know what happiness is until we know what sadness is. Well, here we don't know the good news 
until we know the bad news. Well, if the good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is the bad news we have to know first? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news of the gospel is only good news because we know the bad news. And the bad news is that you and I deserve to die and go to hell for our sin. We deserve it. But Jesus Christ stepped in. He did come to earth. He did take on flesh and become a man. He died on the cross. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, died for your sin and died for my sin. Then he was buried. Then he did come again from the dead, resurrected from the dead. That's the good news. I'll ask you this. Where did the gospel begin? Where did the gospel begin? Did the gospel begin when he rose from the grave? No. Did the gospel begin when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the gospel accounts, when they were written, is that when the gospel began? No. When did the gospel begin? I'll read two verses to you. You don't have to turn there, but you may want to jot them down. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Where did the gospel begin? The gospel began in the heart of God long before time ever existed. God knew that we would sin. God knew that we would need a Savior. Long before time ever began, the gospel was alive and well in the heart of God. That's the origin of the gospel. Number two, we see the oneness of the gospel. The oneness of the gospel. Turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians. Just a few pages over. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. The oneness of the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6 says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul's reminding the church in Galatia here, there is not another gospel. You've already turned from the gospel that you know unto what you're considering to be another gospel, which is not another, the Bible says, it's not a gospel. There is only one gospel. There's only one way of salvation. It is through the death, the burial, and the res resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that should be extremely important to us because it's extremely important to God. How do we know it is? Look at verse number eight and nine. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. He repeats himself here for emphasis, and he's saying there's only one gospel. It's complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be taken away from it. It's exactly as God desires for us to have it. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he even says if anyone preaches another gospel, they should be accursed. That means they should be separated from God. It's as severe as anything we read in Scripture because it's really saying separated from God for all of eternity. He's saying they should be cast into hell because they're trying to lead people astray 
away from the only gospel, the only way of salvation. You know, even as we're working with people, giving the gospel or discipling people, we need to be very careful. We've got to be very careful not to add things to the gospel. Now, we wouldn't be practicing heresy intentionally, but sometimes we fall into the temptation of thinking, well, if you'll just start cleaning up your life, if you'll just start attending church, that's not the gospel. The Bible says we should start, we should begin with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, is it great for them to come to church? Absolutely. Is it the right thing for them to clean up their lives? Yes, but we cannot get things out of order. The gospel is where we must begin. In the Great Commission, God gives us one command to do first. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But, but what about baptizing them? Yes, we should. Well, what about teaching them to, to observe all things? Yes, we should. But those two things can't come before preaching the gospel to every creature. Our first command is to preach the gospel to every single person on earth. That's what God's commanded us to do. That's why he has us here. We must start with the gospel. We see the oneness of the gospel. Number three, we see the ownership of the gospel. The ownership of the gospel. The ownership of the gospel. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the gospel becomes ours. It becomes a possession that we have. But the gospel also possesses us. I have Christ as my Savior. I possess him. But he also possesses me. I'm his. He can do with me anything he pleases to do because I belong to him. I'm all his. And by the way, by choice, we're all his. We want to be all his. The ownership of the gospel. The gospel possesses us. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1.1. He said, separated unto the gospel. In other words, he was being led by the gospel to carry out God's work here on earth. The gospel owned him. The gospel possessed him. The gospel controlled what he did and what he did not do, or at least led him to do the right things before the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 1, real quickly with me. Romans chapter 1. Sometimes we forget how powerful the gospel is. Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 16. Now this is just a few verses after he told us he was separated unto the gospel. Look at verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What power the gospel has to save us from hell. What power the gospel has to change our lives. What power the gospel has to allow me to have fellowship with a holy God. What power the gospel has to allow me to spend all eternity in heaven with him. The gospel is powerful. Powerful to save, but also powerful to change lives. It's so easy for us to see the problems that exist in our world today. And I don't know about you, I get pretty worked up about them sometimes. I don't like it. I don't like knowing that a generation of young people, really a few generations of young people, have been so heavily indoctrinated to believe that evil is not just accepted, but celebrated. That breaks my heart. I'm not happy about it, and neither should you be. I'm not happy that over 60 million innocent unborn babies have been taken since Roe v. Wade. I'm not happy about it, and neither should you be. 
I'm not happy about a lot of things that have been discussed in debates and conversations and town halls and all these things the last few weeks. I'm not happy to hear what some sides say about certain things. And by the way, there are certain things from both sides that we as Christians should not be content with. But if we're not careful, we'll convince ourselves that the solution for those problems is a politician or the solution for those problems is a political party when nothing and no one can solve those problems but the gospel. Only God's word can change what's wrong in our nation. Only God's word can change what's wrong in my life and what's wrong in your life and in your home. An election is coming, and by the way, everything is right about you voting and everything is wrong about you not voting. We should absolutely vote to make sure that we're aligning with whoever aligns closest with the Bible. No doubt about it. But our confidence should never be in them. It has to be in the gospel. It has to be. And we've got to guard ourselves. How many of you would be honest enough to say, if you were being completely honest, you can get a little distracted by political things? Would you raise your hand? Me too. I enjoy them. I really do. But that's not where my faith should be. It can't be. My faith should be in the gospel. And don't get me wrong, we're in a battle. There is no doubt a battle for the hearts and minds of our young people, my own children, your own children. We're in a battle. And it's a little overwhelming. But God didn't put us in a battle with no weapon. He gave us the most powerful weapon that exists. We have the gospel. How can evil be overtaken through the gospel? How can good win through the gospel? That's the only thing we have. We see the origin of the gospel. We see the oneness of the gospel. We see the ownership of the gospel. And then lastly, we see our obligation to the gospel. What is our obligation to the gospel? You may say, and I may say, that we agree that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose again. And that's true. It's, it's evident in Scripture it's true. But along with that knowledge comes a responsibility. Once we know that, we have to do something with it. Not just one thing. We have to do many things with it. So what should we do now that we know the gospel's true? And if you do know the gospel's true. Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to claim it as our own. We have to claim it as our own. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, tonight's the night. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Think about the fact that a holy God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. It's unbelievable. By the way, if you grew up in church or if you've been in church for a long time, you don't even think about it anymore. But will you stop for just a moment and think about it? God sent his only son. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is God as well. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, the Bible says. He came to earth, he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. If we've heard the gospel, we have a responsibility to claim it. But we also have a responsibility to share it. To share it. Let me ask you a very simple question. Has the gospel lost its power? Yes or no? Let me ask it again. Say it out loud. Has the gospel lost its power? Yes or no? Then why don't we see people getting saved? What's changed? If the gospel's not changed and it hasn't, 
than something else has. And unfortunately, to my shame and to your shame, it's us. It's us. God's people are not as faithful in sharing the gospel as they used to be. We're not as faithful as previous generations in sharing the gospel. We're not. And I'm ashamed of it. I'm convicted by it. I may say that it's my goal to see souls saved. I may say that it's my goal to share the gospel. But if you looked at my calendar, my schedule wouldn't reflect it. If you looked at my home, maybe some moments of the day it would reflect it, but most of them probably wouldn't. And if I looked at your schedule, it wouldn't reflect it either. We've, we've substituted so many things for the gospel. Now, we would never say it that way, but we've done it in practice. We've allowed so many things to occupy our time, to distract us from what matters most. The devil's winning because we're busy and because we have excuses. It is our responsibility if we have the gospel, if we know the gospel, it is our responsibility to give it our time, to give it our attention, to share it with other people. All of us, all of us are guilty of allowing our jobs to take priority over the gospel. All of us sometimes are, are guilty of allowing our own families to take the place of the gospel or have a more prominent place in our lives than the gospel. We think sometimes because we come for 45 minutes or an hour to an organized visitation or soul winning that we've really sacrificed a lot for the Lord. What priority does the gospel have in my life and in your life? And by the way, I'm not preaching just at you. I'm telling you I'm ashamed of it. Because we complain about every problem on earth and we have the solution and we keep it to ourselves. God forgive us for it. By the way, we'd much rather invite someone to church than actually ask them, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Why is that? I think sometimes we think, well, I'll let pastor take care of that. I think sometimes I think, I'll let pastor take care of that. It's a lot easier to say, do you belong to a church? Or um, are you a Christian? Than to specifically say, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know that Christ died on the cross for your sins? And that he was buried and then he rose again. For your sins. We struggle to share the gospel, don't we? Our only responsibility is not to claim it. Our only responsibility is not just to claim it and to share it, but also, thirdly, to live it. To live it. Turn over just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It is our responsibility it's our obligation to live out the gospel in our own lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 16. Let's start there. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Pause for a moment. Imagine if we lived our lives that way. Imagine if we actually thought that way or practiced that way. Verse number 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. 
to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And I do this for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Paul's saying, as the Lord puts people in my path, I do all I can to have conversations with them. I do all I can to make a connection with them. I do all I can to expect that God's put them in my path for a purpose. He said, I become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. You remember when Brother Folger talked about casting your bread upon the water? We can't save everyone. We can't save anyone. But God's called us to be diligent in giving the gospel and in living out the gospel. Paul says he was all things to all people. What do we gather from that? The gospel is the only way of salvation. And do you know the only method or the primary method God chooses to use to share the gospel with a lost and dying world? It's you. And it's me. And while I may say I want the world to know the Lord, I'm failing at my job. And if you were honest before the Lord, you probably are too. Because God has said he wants us to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. To live the gospel in front of a lost and dying world. What do I mean by that? It's important that people don't just hear the gospel from me, but that they see the gospel lived out in my life. Everything I do should be for the sake of the gospel. Everything. And I have to come to the realization that everything I do either benefits the sake of Christ for the gospel or it harms it. Everything. That seems hard to believe until you stop and think about it. Every decision I make, every word I say, every thought that I have, every action that I carry out either benefits the gospel or it harms the gospel. It's such a convicting thought to me. It really is. Not just because I've become too busy and allow myself to be too busy, as many of you would say as well. But I think, how many people have seen me in traffic who were not benefited for the gospel's sake because of it? How many people have seen me, frankly, at a ball game at a Christian school? As the administrator of a Christian school? And it's done nothing for the gospel's sake. How many people have seen me talk to my wife or address my children or speak to one of you and nothing good for the gospel has been done or gained because of it? It's not just my responsibility to share the gospel, but as people see my life, they should see the gospel. They should see a changed life. Do you believe the gospel changes lives? then why do we look just like everyone else in the world? Why do I act like everyone else in the world? If my life has been changed by the gospel, I should be different. How many people have seen your life or seen my life and thought, if that's a Christian, I want nothing to do with it? Is anyone else convicted by that thought or just me? How many opportunities have we had to share the gospel with someone We've missed that opportunity. 
I shared a story in the prayer meeting a few minutes ago about a man who literally was sitting on the steps of a library at a university, looking up to heaven, saying, God, I believe you're real, but if you are, prove yourself. And in that moment, a man from our church back home walked by him, handed him a gospel tract. He got saved, went back to the country he came from, and shared the gospel there. Many more got saved. How many times have I walked by someone who the Holy Spirit has prepared for that moment? But I was not a willing vessel. My pride got in the way of sharing something that may have been a little uncomfortable for me. How many times have we missed those opportunities? I spoke to someone just last week that said, you know, we visited your church a few weeks ago. That was one of the friendliest churches I've ever been a part of. I agree this is a friendly church, and I'm thankful that it is. I've heard people say, God's blessed you with such beautiful buildings, and he has, and I'm grateful for it. I've heard people say, certain ministries in this church are just fabulous. God's blessed so much. Yes, praise the Lord for it. But I wonder, how many people would say, that church is a soul-winning church? And by the way, I can't criticize the church because I'm part of it. We are the church. It's not the building. It's not even the name. It's us. Do we have a testimony in our community that we're actively giving the gospel? That people are dreading to see us because they know what's coming? What a solid testimony that would be. Really, it'd be a great testimony. What do people think about when they see our church? And by the way, there is nothing wrong with being a friendly church. I want us to be a friendly church. We noticed that the first Sunday we were here. However, people should know that we are actively and intentionally sharing the gospel in every way we can. So I'll ask you, are you actively and intentionally sharing the gospel? Are you actively living out the life of a soul-winning Christian? Are you living your life so consistently, publicly, privately, it does not matter, that someone could see your life and say, man, there's something different about that person. That's what God's called us to do. And by the way, I can ask you those questions and I'm going to ask myself the same exact questions. If everything is for the gospel's sake, and it is, then I also have to be willing to allow God to bring anything into my life that he desires to, take anything out of my life that he desires to, for the sake of the gospel. Paul said he was separated under the gospel. That's how he made an impact on the world for the Lord. That's it. He was separated unto the gospel. If we are as well, he can use us to truly make an impact. As we're closing, I want to share something with you from this book, When a Nation Forgets God. It's a book that the Lord brought across my path several years ago now. I actually, for obvious reasons, uh, read it leading up to the election four years ago. Um, it's easy to forget how we all felt before that election, but we were all scared to death. You remember being scared to death about the election? When, the, when a nation forgets God, it's, it says seven lessons we must learn from Nazi Germany. In this book, there's a story that's given. I won't give you the man's name, but he said, I'll, I'll read a quote from the book. He recounts how the trains taking Jews to death camps would pass by his church every Sunday during the Holocaust. He said, and I quote, their screams tormented us. But what could anyone do to stop it? We knew the time the train was coming. 
And when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time our train, or the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we just sang louder. And soon we heard them no more. Then he says this. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear that train whistling my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. Folks, we live surrounded by people who don't know the Lord. They're on a train too. They're going to spend all eternity without Christ. We have one opportunity to intervene. And unfortunately, the Christians in this world are not doing it. And it's easy to blame all the Christians in this world, but frankly, I'm not doing it. Not like I should. God's given us an opportunity. We must absolutely stop the habit of doing nothing for the sake of the gospel. We must. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. Before we pray, I'm going to ask you three very simple questions. Then we'll pray and we'll sing a few verses of invitation. First of all, I do want to ask you, is there anyone here today that would say that you've never claimed the gospel as your own? You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If there's anyone like that in this room this evening, I promise you, we don't want you to leave without accepting Christ. Is there anyone that would raise your hand and say, I've not accepted Christ as my Savior? Would you raise your hand? I'm looking around. If that's you, we have workers that are available. We'd love to show you from God's word how you can know him. We really would. Now, secondly, I want to ask those of us who are Christians. How many of you would admit, not to me, but to the Lord, that you're not sharing the gospel like you should? Would you raise your hand? My hand's in the air with yours. Can I ask you, when's it going to change? Are we just going to get convicted every time we hear a message about it, every time we read a verse about it, and never make a change? I want to invite you, if you're able to here in a moment, to come and pray and ask the Lord to help you. I think it's okay to say, not just, Lord, make me a soul-winning Christian, but Lord, this week, give me one opportunity to share the gospel with one person. Help me swallow my pride and give the gospel as you've commanded me to do. Imagine what God could do just through this church family, just through the people here tonight, if we all gave the gospel intentionally one time this week. Then lastly, I'm going to ask you this. How many of you would say, you may need to be a little more careful with your actions, a little more careful with your attitude, a little more careful with your word, because you may be the only gospel anyone ever sees. Would you raise your hand? God, help us. When we really know that everything we do impacts the cause of the gospel, it's such a convicting thought. Lord, I pray that you'll help us this evening. If you've placed things on our hearts, Lord, please help us be faithful to follow you, to follow your leading and your guiding and follow your word. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a verse of the hymn. Please, I invite you, if you want to come forward, please do and ask the Lord to help with whatever he's played on your heart. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling Calling for you and for me If there's anyone here who needs the gospel 
who wants to accept Christ as their Savior, please find me, find someone. We want to help you. And watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. If anyone's uncomfortable coming forward because of distancing, please just use your chair. Give it to the Lord. many people here praying I just feel led of the Lord to say this someone gave the gospel to me someone was diligent I'm thankful they were I don't know about your life someone, many people were faithfully living out the gospel so that I could come to know Jesus Christ I'm grateful they were if you're still standing there, if you're not dealing with the Lord up here maybe pause for a moment, let's thank the Lord for those people who were so diligent in our own lives as we sing another verse why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and he not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? very much. Please remain standing just for a moment. Brother Jones, if you'll come on up, we'll close in prayer in just a moment. Um, Brother Jones caught him off guard. He was expecting Brother Cody, sorry. Uh, just a couple of reminders, of course. If you still are interested in the winter retreat, uh, find me tonight. Tonight is the deadline, and I'll be happy to help you with that if I can. And of course, continue to pray for Pastor and for Miss Tanya and their family. And uh, do want to encourage you, please be faithful in your giving as you're leaving out these doors or the other doors. Uh, find the offering box there and be faithful, please. And then um, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Of course, be faithful in your place on Wednesday evening. Look forward to a great night here together. Brother Cody? Let's pray. Definitely, Father, God, thank you for this night. God, thank you for the privilege of being in your house again. God, just help us as we go through this week. God, help us not to take the gospel for granted. God, we're so thankful that you gave your son for us. God, help us to share that with others. Bring us back safely on Wednesday. And you stand and pray. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.